Welcome to The Heart Zone, a podcast ministry of Kernsville Christian Church, featuring the teaching ministry of George Cannon. For more information about Kernsville Christian Church, visit us on the web at www.kernsvillechristian.org. And now, for a message from The Heart Zone, here's George. All right, guys, I'd like for you to turn in your Bibles to John chapter 19. John chapter 19, um, we're getting, we're really getting towards the end. We're going to wrap up chapter 19 today, then that leaves us chapter 20 and 21, and then we'll be done with this gospel. Um, So we're looking at maybe another four weeks up to the time of Maybe just right after Christmas as well, we'll finish up this gospel. And here's what we've been doing. It's been a long journey through John. And today is the the culmination of everything we've been looking at. Why have we been going through John? We've been going through John to get to know him, to know him in ways that we've never considered before. And as we get to know him, we've been realizing some things about ourselves or about the world and why they react the way they do to Jesus. And, and today, it's kind of all getting right to the main thing that we know about. So what we're about to read, you know about. You know about it every year. We, we talk about it at Easter, and that's his crucifixion. You understand, to a point, what he went through for you. But while we know that, in a sense, can, can I say it this way? We don't know it. What do you mean we don't know it? I know the fact. Yeah, it's one thing to know the facts, but do you really know what he went through? And, and when I say, do you really know what he went through, the question is, do you know why he went through it? He went through it for you. For you, not, not just the people around you. Yes, for them, but for you. He went through it for you. He went through it for me. So that there could be a change in the course of our lives if we would just embrace it. So that there could be a change in what was awaiting for us. He, He paid the ultimate price for you and I. But here's what I find. You know, I could say, oh, well, I find that people in church are like this. You know what? I find with George, here's what, I'm going to talk about George, okay? I'm going to talk about myself. I can go a whole week without really thinking about what Jesus did for me. I just run on what he did for me. I just kind of take it for granted. You ever, ever take Jesus for granted? I could go a whole week taking Jesus for granted, taking for granted that I have a relationship with him, take for granted what he, you know, that that I'm accepted by him, he answers prayer, just take it for granted, and not really consider what he went through for me. So I think it's interesting that of all the things that's mentioned multiple times in the scripture, over and over in the New Testament, it's one word, the cross. The cross. It's at the center of what we believe. What he went through is what we believe. Why? Because if there was no cross, there's no salvation. If he didn't go through what we're about to look at here, let's just hang it up. Head to your restaurant a little earlier. Did you understand? Get home and start lunch a little bit sooner. 
but then live with whatever it is that you've been living with, knowing that there's no way to take care of it. It's the cross. And so that's what we're going to look at today. So it's a, we're going to look at verses 17 through 42. I, I tried to look at this and I was like, man, how do, how do, how do I present this? Because John, it's an interesting thing, compared to the other Gospels, John is the be brief guy. Do, do, you, know, do you know what I mean by a be brief guy? You ever have somebody give you an explanation and they just go on and on and on with every detail and you're like, be brief, brother, be brief, Okay. John's the be brief guy. He's just going to give you enough information for you to understand what's going on and he's going to make key points as he goes along for you to to grasp some truths. And so when it comes to the crucifixion, he doesn't give you every detail of what's going on. He doesn't give you every conversation that's happening. happening. You're not going to see the conversation with Jesus and the thieves who are on either side of him. You're not going to see that with John. He mentions that they're there. He doesn't give you all of the statements that Jesus makes on the cross. He gives you a couple of them that are important. And they're important for you and I. Because he's got a greater point for you and I to see. He wants you to see he suffered for you. And we'll see something else he's going to show us. Okay? So let's look at this together. Actually, we will read it all together. Look with me at verse 17. Okay? Of chapter 19. And he, bearing his cross, went out to a place called the place of the skull, which is called in Hebrew, Golgotha, where they crucified him and two others with him, one on either side, Jesus in the center. Now Pilate wrote a title and put it on the cross. And the writing was, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Then many of the Jews read this title, for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and it was written in Hebrew, Greek, and Latin. Therefore the chief priests of the Jews said to Pilate, Do not write the King of the Jews, but he said, I am the king of the Jews. Pilate answered, what I've written, I've written. Then the soldiers, when they had crucified Jesus, took his garments and made four parts to each soldier a part, and also a tunic. Now the tunic was without seam, woven from, top, from the top in one piece. They said, therefore, among themselves, let us not tear it, but let us cast lots for it, whose it shall be, that the scripture might be fulfilled, which says, they divided my garments among them, for my clothing they cast lots. Therefore, the soldiers did these things. Now there stood by the cross of Jesus his mother, and his mother's sister Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing by, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour that disciple took her into his own house. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, said, I thirst. Now a vessel full of sour wine was sitting there, 
And they filled a sponge with the sour wine and put it on a hyssop, and they put it to his mouth. So when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. Bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. Therefore, because it was the preparation day, that the body should not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for the Sabbath was the high day, the Jews asked Pilate that their legs might be broken, that they might be taken away. When the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first and, and, after, and of the other who was crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus, they saw that he was already dead and they did not break his legs. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear and immediately blood and water came out. And he who had seen has and he who has seen has testified and his testimony is true and he knows that he is telling the truth so that you may believe for these things were done that the scripture should be fulfilled not one of his bones were broken and again another scripture saying they shall look upon look on him whom they've pierced and after this, Joseph of Arimathea, being a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take the body of Jesus. And Pilate gave him permission. So he came and took the body of Jesus. And Nicodemus, who at first came to Jesus by night, also came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about a hundred pounds. And they took the body of Jesus, bound it in strips of linen with spices, as the custom of the Jews is to bury. Now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden. And in the garden, a tomb, a new tomb, in which no one had yet been laid. And so therefore they laid Jesus because of the Jews' preparation day, for the tomb was nearby. All right, folks, so what we're going to do is we're going to take this long passage of Scripture and we're going we're gonna to go through it in big sections, but we're going to really divide it into two main parts. We're going to talk about his execution, and then we're going to talk about Jesus, because that's why we're here, right? We're in this gospel to understand Jesus, to get to know him better. And you've got to understand some things that are happening here, okay? So let's talk about his execution. First thing I want you to notice, verse 17. Very briefly, he just kind of says, then verse 17, it says that... Uh, and he, bearing his cross, went to a place called the place of the skull, which is called, in Hebrew, Golgotha. So he had to carry his own instrument of death. Now, this is all John says about that. If you go to the other Gospels, he gets, gets into a really long discussion with the other writers about what happened on the way. About Jesus not being able to carry that cross beam on his shoulders anymore and somebody carrying it for him or his statement to the women there about what was happening and so forth and and the mockings and the brutality that he faced as he went up the way to the cross it's interesting they say that he went to the place of the skull which is called Golgotha scholars are still not sure where that is now I know if you go there they'll take you there but that's been 2,000 years okay so they're really not sure that that's the place. They're not even sure where the tomb is. There's actually two places you can go and visit the tomb of Jesus. But the point is, they took him to a place 
and he had to carry his own instrument of death. So think about that. It's bad enough, all right? It's bad enough that he's going to be killed an innocent man. But part of it is, with this execution thing, is you've got to carry the instrument that's going to kill you. Do you understand what I'm saying? And you've got to carry it. It's, it's a heavy beam. It's torture in and of itself. He's already been beat beyond all comprehension, whipped beyond all comprehension. Now he's got to carry this heavy beam that he's going to be nailed to up along the way. He's being mocked by the crowds as he goes along. And he has to endure carrying this thing. That's the first thing he tells us. Second thing he tells us is this. He was crucified. Crucifixion is probably the most cruel method of execution the world has ever come up with. The origins of crucifixion are from the Phoenicians and the Persians. So they go long before Rome. Romans came along and they perfected it. They used it to an extreme. So remember, I guess, I guess there was a movie and it was an actual event, Spartacus, okay? Remember Spartacus? Now, if you're old enough, you remember when, when uh, what's his name was Spartacus? Uh, yeah, Kirk Douglas, yeah, you remember. Now, I know there's another one since then, but it's got to be Kirk, right? So uh, Kirk Douglas was Spartacus. And in that rebellion where the slaves rebelled against Rome, Literally, they crucified hundreds of people in one day, lined the roads with their bodies. Now, here's the interesting thing about crucifixion. It's not an instant death. You don't crucify people so that they die instantly. We think about that in our culture today, in our nation. When we have executions, we want it to go as quickly as possible and as painless as possible, right? The Romans didn't care about that. When they hung you on a cross, they positioned your body so your, your, your arms are outstretched, and then they would arch your knees and then nail your feet, and you always see everybody is, is positioned sort of like this, with their knees up. Why? Because crucifixion is death by asphyxiation. When you're hanging there, the weight of your body is such that if you didn't have, you would asphyxiate. You couldn't breathe anymore. So what you would do is, is you would push yourself up on the cross so you could get a breath. Thus came the whole concept of you bruising your heel. Remember? Remember in the garden, all the way back in the beginning, Satan will what? Crush his head and that Satan will what? Bruise his heel. He was crucified. Sometimes somebody who was crucified would last for days. Days, folks. Thankfully, that's not true in this situation. But it's a cruel form of execution. He was crucified. Now, John includes something that I think is very interesting because it's, I mean, that in itself is enough, right? You would think, man, Carrying your own instrument of torture, going up along the way, 
having to endure that, to carry that up there, then to be nailed to a cross. And here you are, you haven't done anything wrong to be nailed so that you could slowly die, slowly die of asphyxiation. And and the humiliation and everything doesn't end there. It, It just continues on. How? Well, look at what it says in verse 19. Now, Pilate wrote a title and put it on the cross. And the writing was, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Then many of the Jews read this title, for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and it was written in Hebrew, Greek, and Latin. Therefore, the chief priests of the Jews said to Pilate, Do not write the King of the Jews, but that he said, I am the King of the Jews. And Pilate said, What I have written, I have written. Here's what's going on here. Jesus was mocked and used as a pawn. A pawn. You know what a pawn is, right? You play chess. You know, you move your pawn, and usually they're the ones who get butchered first, right? He's a pawn in a political game that's going on. What kind of political game? He's a pawn in the political game between the Romans and the Jews. The Jews wanted rid of him. They used Rome to get rid of him. So, Guess what? Pilate has his last laugh, and he says, the king of the Jews, and he writes it in Greek, Hebrew, and Latin. Now, why those three, three languages? In Palestine, the main languages would be Hebrew, because of the Jewish people, Greek, because they're Hellenized from when, remember, from the Greek empire that came through Alexander the Great, and now the great empire that has them is Rome, and their language is what? Latin. And it's a mockery. He's making a mockery. Here's the king of the, here's the Roman procurator. Here's the king of the Jews sitting on a cross. And of course, if you're a Jew, you're offended by that. And they go to him and say, hey, change it so that it says, he said, I am the king of the Jews, which they knew is what was he was there for as the Messiah. And Pilate says, hey, what I've written, I've written. It ain't being changed. So here you are. You've endured all this torture. You're, you're on the cross. And people are using you for a pawn. They're mocking you. That's what he endured. Now, it's one thing you might say in our culture... If you did something wrong, yeah, it's just part of the territory. It's just part of the consequences of what you've done wrong. Sometimes you have to endure stuff when you do wrong, right? But let's remind ourselves of something. Did Jesus do anything wrong? Nothing. Is he innocent? Completely. But they, remember what we read earlier in the gospel? Men love the darkness and they what? Hate the light. And so there's just the continual pouring out of the anger towards Jesus. Okay? Pouring out of the anger. Which brings me to the last thing I want you to see here in this section. Is as he was humiliated as he he died. Humiliated. How can they further humiliate them? Well, think about this. Okay? Here we give you a jumpsuit in our prison system. In their day, what they would do is they take you there and they strip you down naked and hang you on a cross. They take your clothes from you 
And what do they do with the clothes? Well, your clothes just becomes part of the pay to the people who are the soldiers crucifying you. So there they are. They're taking your garments and they're dividing your garments among themselves. That was a form of pay. Clothing back then was a really big deal. To have a change of clothes meant you had some kind of influence or whatever. Most people just had what they had on their back. To have extra changes of clothes was a big thing. You see that in the Old Testament. When, do you remember Naaman when he goes and sees the prophet Elisha? He leaves with him. He wants to leave him with a change of clothes and he doesn't. Prophet says, don't do it, but Gehazi, his servant, goes and gets some changes of clothes and and because that's 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 really important. Well, here they are, they got this guy. The last thing he has in his world is the clothes on his body. They take it away from him, they crucify him naked, and guess what? They take his clothing and they divide it among themselves. They tear it, divide it into four among themselves. Then they come to his outer garment, and his outer garment was one. One woven, think about the time and effort that was put into it. One woven outer garment. And they're like, whoa, this is a little too precious to just tear up. And they cast lots for it. So here he is. Tortured. Crucified. Still being used as a pawn. And humiliated. Not because of something he did. Here's the truth. For you. For me. For you. For me. How do I know that? Because that's what we're going to see in the next section, what it says about Jesus. Because right in the midst of this discussion, brief discussion of what he's going through, John's going to point out some great truths for you and I to understand here, okay? So I want you to notice with me. Verse 24. It's again a verse we've already looked at where he talks about the dividing of the garments. But look at what it says. They said, therefore, among themselves, let us not tear it, but cast lots for it. Who shall it be? That the scripture, okay, here's the key word, that the scripture might be fulfilled, which says, they divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. Therefore the soldiers did these things. So here's what I want you to see. The first thing, here's the first thing. Even in the midst of the chaos of his death, nothing was unexpected. So here we are, we have this scene of him carrying his, his cross beam up, or even the whole cross, depending on who, what version you watch of it. You see him carrying that up, he's being tortured, beaten along the way, mocked, and you know, he can't carry it up all the way, the other gospels tell us, somebody else has to carry it for him. He gets up there, they crucify him, he's up there, he's been stripped of everything, he's being mocked, he's being humiliated. And this is, I mean, this is not a normal controlled scene. This is chaos that's happening around him. 
And so they get to the point where like ripping up his garments to give it among themselves. They're gambling for his one outfit. And the scripture comes along and says that the scripture might be fulfilled. What I'm trying to tell you is, is that when we look at this horrific situation, the first truth that comes out of this is this is not ex- unexpected. This is not unexpected. Jesus knew this was coming. None of this was catching him by surprise. Do you, do you realize that? When we, 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 here's the tr- one main truth about God is he's eternal. He has always existed. He's the ancient of days. And so if you grasp the reality of that truth, Father, Son, and Spirit are one. They've always existed. So even before creation, when they first made Adam and Eve, they knew that this point was coming. And that the Son would have to endure this for you and I. It wasn't unexpected. So the scripture gives you these tidbits of this is going to happen. Here's the second thing I want you to see. This is, this is you want to talk about Jesus, who he is, understand his love for you? Okay, because we wrestle with that, right? We wrestle with, oh, I don't know if Jesus loves me today. I don't know. They've got this thing going on. Do you care about me, Jesus? You don't have to wrestle with whether or not Jesus cares about you. Why? Look at what he's doing while he's dying. What's he doing? Look at verse 25 and 27. Now they, there stood by the cross, Jesus, his, the cross of Jesus, his mother, and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clophus, and Mary Magdalene. And when Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing by, he said to his mother, woman, behold your son. And then he said to the, to the disciple, behold your mother. And from that hour, that disciple took her into his own home. Who's he thinking about here? He's dying on a cross. Who's he thinking about? Mom. Who's going to care for her? You want to understand who Jesus is? Just look at that. You want to understand love? Just look at that. So here's the point I want to make to you. Even as he was dying, he still took care of his own. Even as he was dying, he still took care of his own. Now listen, folks, we just sang a song, I'm a child of God. Right? We just sang that song. I mean, I was really enjoying you guys singing. I I thought I should just be quiet and listen to you, but I sang too. I just thought, man, that was, this was great today. And, and so I'm listening to you, and we're singing about being a child of God. Do, do, do you realize that when you go to him, and, and here you are, you, you know you're a child of God, and you wonder, oh, does he care for me? Does he care for me in the midst of what you're going through? Jesus, he, he, you don't have to question that. If he's thinking about his mom and taking care of his mom while he's being, dead on, being killed on a cross... He's not being killed anymore. He's supreme. He's still thinking of you. He's still taking care of you. That's what's awesome. 
You never have to question that. One of the biggest lies Satan will breathe to you is that he does not love you. And it's usually because of something. It's a lie. Because that's not who he is. He loves you. He loves you. Here, here's the thing. So even as he was dying, he took care of his own. Here it is. And this is what blows my mind. You, who's in control here? Jesus. Verse 28. Look with me at verse 28. And after this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, stop. He's conscious enough to know, okay, everything's set, everything's done, we've, we've accomplished all things, they divided my garments, I mean, everything is fulfilled that the scripture has been pointing to about what I'm supposed to endure, we're done now. Except one thing, I'm thirsty. They tried to give him vinegar, which was some sort of narcotic drink that they would give them, and... It says then that he what? Gave up his spirit and he died. He died. Do you realize? Think about this. I told you that people can last for what? Days on a cross. Jesus was only there for hours. And he gave up his spirit. So here's the thing I want you to understand. He was in control of his death as he became the perfect sacrifice. He was in control as he became the perfect sacrifice. What do you mean the perfect sacrifice? Do you understand God's system as he was working with Israel, we as Gentiles were not included in that system, but there had to be a sacrifice for sin. And so here he is, he's the perfect sacrifice, not just for the sins of the Jews, but for the sins of the whole world. He is the perfect sinless sacrifice, perfect sacrifice so that our sins could be taken care of. Is that not what we believe when we come to him in faith? That I can't do it on my own anymore, Jesus. I can't, I can't remove this guilt from me. I can't remove the shame, the regrets. Only you can do it, Jesus. And you come to him because he paid the, what? He is the propitiation, the wrath satisfier of God. And you know what? He was in control. Even with all the chaos, even with all the things that are going on, he was in control. Because he's the perfect sacrifice. And we see that. Why? Because timing is always an issue, isn't it? So they crucified these guys just right before the preparation, before the Sabbath. And on the Sabbath, you can't have this stuff going on. And they know that crucifixion, I mean, if they crucified him on Monday, fine, leave him hanging there. He'll be dead by the weekend. But it's Friday. And we can't have people with, this, with the Sabbath, people being crucified up there. So they go to Pilate and said, hey, can you break their legs? Now, why would they break their legs? Think about it. Why would they break their legs? Yeah, because they're pushing themselves up with their legs to get a breath, right? You break their legs, can they push themselves up anymore? No. They quickly die, what, from a lack of oxygen. 
So they do that for the one on one side, they do that for the other, but they come to Jesus, and guess what they realize when they come to Jesus? He's already dead. He's already gone. So they pierce his side with what? A spear. Here's what I want you to see. And, and John then records that even that was scriptural. Why? Because no bone should, was broken. He was a perfect sacrifice. It wasn't a breaking of bones here. Rather, he was pierced. Pierced for our transgressions, right? So he was in control as he became the perfect sacrifice. And then finally, and it seems like the end, he was buried. They put him in the ground. Now what is John trying to tell us here? With just those three or four verses describing Joseph of Arimathea going and getting his body, he was a secret follower, and Nicodemus, who was also a secret follower, they buried Jesus. Why? Because they want you to understand he's dead. He died for you. And that's the end of chapter 19. That's pretty heavy, George. Yeah. But I'll tell you, next week, chapter 20. Because it's not the end of the story. And aren't you thankful for that? Aren't you thankful that all that he endured was for one reason only? You. Me. And love. But it doesn't, the gospel doesn't end with verse 42. It opens up in chapter 20 with an empty tomb. Because the Jesus who's in control is alive. And you and I are saved because of that. Isn't that awesome? So what was I sharing with you earlier? As we looked at this passage, sometimes we need to remember and not take for granted. So as you're going about your day this week and you've got this crisis that happens and you're like, oh God, I need you to take care of that. God, please do this, solve this problem. God, for some of you, give me a parking place at Walmart, okay? The reality is, can I be honest with you, the fact that you can even do that is because of what he went through. It's because of love. Here's the word. You are loved. You are loved by God. Let me pray for you.